The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I am very happy this week to be joined by somebody that I've been trying to get on the podcast for it seems like a month now. We just keep having scheduling conflicts. Um, Aaron Sorensen is joining me today. Aaron, hello. How are you? Hello. I'm good. Yeah, it, it's been with just the travel, like Rutgers being a Friday game that threw everything for a bit of a loop. So even this week, uh, just we were joking because how we are recording right now is I'm actually in the same city as you. I'm just much further south at the moment. So, but we're making it work. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. We're in the same spot and we're still going via like <laughs> kind of zoom, not really zoom, whatever this is. Um, this is just so much easier. This is the way that everyone should do this. And they're, they're actually, now that you bring us, uh, bring this up, they're actually a handful of, um, schools over on the West Coast that are still doing media availability via Zoom. Ooh. And I'll listen into, you know, some of their press conferences and it runs so much more smoothly than say like gaggles that happen where you've got three reporters asking their question at the same time and one person trying to be as loud and as obnoxious as possible so that they're the last one standing so that they can ask their questions. When you have it on Zoom, even if you're all in the same place, when you have it on Zoom, it's just a much smoother operation. Yeah, and it would also eliminate everyone doing the whole, why can't I hear the questions thing, which is hard because um, no one cares about the explanation. But if anyone listening to this is interested, it's it's very difficult to explain if you don't see it. But like, for instance, most post-practice availabilities, which you know, because you've seen them, are either in concourses, they're not in like a true they're not set up to be able to like really hear everything. So they put one microphone in front of the person talking, but you can't really mic everyone else around because even if you were like, let's put a mic out with the reporters, reporters are like in like a half circle around the person. So you'd either have to pass something or you'd have to set up, you know, multiple, it would just be, it's not impossible. It's just not the easiest situation and especially when multiple people are like trying to get audio. So that would eliminate that because then you would always hear the questions and people would be able to see who asked it, what they asked. It would definitely be a more user-friendly experience for the consumer watching it than what they get right now. Yeah, yeah. And you would also not get coaches constantly getting interrupted. I think that's my favorite thing in college football media is watching for the the reactions of coaches when they get interrupted, when they they leave like a, a pause um, towards like what would feel like a natural end, but then they're also, you just know that they're about to give you something good and somebody interrupts them. Mm-hmm. You get that in in-person uh, press conferences and, and availabilities. You don't get that in Zoom. 
And I think that's one of my favorite things to watch for. Um, we're not here today to talk about press conference and, and media minutia. We could. Yeah, we could probably spend an hour talking about it. Um, instead, we are here to talk about the tied for first place in the Big Ten West Nebraska Cornhuskers. Um, hold on to your butts because this is going to be a wild end of the season because <laughs> six weeks in, well, you know, yeah, six weeks in, seven for Nebraska if you count week zero. Um, Nebraska is tied for the division lead mm-hmm. with an interim head coach. Um, the turnaround is remarkable, and they are going for three straight victories this weekend against Purdue, which is something that has not happened at Nebraska since 2016, which feels like it shouldn't be that long ago, but it actually is like a long time ago, it's especially in college football years. Um, Aaron, wh- I guess what's the confidence level with this team right now? You know, I actually asked Mickey Joseph about that just yesterday because what I kind of wanted to know from his perspective is one of the things that he and other coaches have been talking about is that prior to essentially the coaching change, a lot of these players, and I shouldn't even just say the coaching change, but just the lack of belief that one, this team could win and that two, they could put together back to back multiple wins because it hadn't been done since 2018. So there there's this like fine line where they're walking, right? They're walking this fine line right now where you want them to have that confidence. But then I was kind of like, how do you keep them from then teetering into maybe overconfidence where you want to kind of balance the, we're still the underdogs. We still have our backs against the wall. We want to keep that mentality, but we want to have the confidence that we can win. And I asked him and he basically said, they're taking on my mentality. They're taking on the way I approach things, the way that my makeup is as a coach. That's what they're taking on. And that they do like, he's like, I don't see doubt in their eyes anymore. I don't see them believing. I I see them essentially believing that they're capable and I think that's where this team is right now, where there's obviously Purdue. Purdue is currently a 13 and a half point favorite, but that opened as a 16 and a half point favorite when the lines opened on Sunday. And there's a reason for that. This Purdue team is, is pretty good. There's, there's not, there's no disrespect to Purdue and Nebraska hasn't earned that respect yet. And even with two wins back to back, they, they still have a lot to prove. But this team, the mentality of it is, I don't think that they're approaching games as, uh, you know, do we believe in ourselves? Do you think we can do this? Like, they sincerely believe they can win, but they know it's going to be tough. Like, Mickey Joseph said it. It's We know these are going to be slugfests. We know they're going to be tight games. We know these are going to be tough. But, like, we believe we can do it. And there's no moral victories to be had in sports. But that is a step in a direction where – that's a positive, I think, if you're a fan who's trying to maybe take away good right now, that when I was watching the Rutgers game, the way they went into halftime a year ago, I would have told you there was no way that team was winning. The mentality switched. They made adjustments. They kept they kept them, their heads above water, and they managed to pull out a close win. That is, There's something we said about that. Now, we don't know what they're going to show against, you know, Purdue, but I I do think they probably deserve a little bit more respect than that line shows, but at the same time, Vegas likes money. So it'll be interesting. I think this is an opportunity for them to kind of put that, 
we believe in ourselves to the test because chances are Purdue is going to play them pretty hard. And does how do they respond another week when the going gets tough? That's what they've been really pushing right now. And, you know, if somehow Nebraska can pull pull off that win, then the uh, first place in the Big Ten West thing stops looking, as Mickey Joseph said, like fake first place and starts to look a little bit more real. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just – it's, it's a little bit of, for me, covering this team, an interesting place to be right now because it feels like really anything is truly possible. And I don't say that to blow like smoke at anyone or to like create overconfidence. I just truly think anything is possible for this team. Well, Wisconsin and Iowa sucking in the Big Ten West has really <laughs> made it to where, you know, the door is open for, for anybody. And Purdue, um, you know, I think I think you get a little bit of sticker shock with Purdue when you see like an opening sixteen and a half point line just because it of, of the the name of the program. But like they're pretty good. Four and two, both losses um, came in the final minute of of the game. Um, Aiden O'Connell is not to be messed with, and and I, conveniently for Nebraska, the pass rush has kind of found itself over the last two weeks. They got six sacks in the last two games. Um, the the I, I, the way that they beat Rutgers. I mean, so, so rewind two weeks ago, this time they hadn't beaten an FBS opponent in nine tries. Then they beat Indiana and then they go into halftime on the road on a Friday night, weird night against Rutgers in Piscataway of all places. And you're down 13, nothing. And you're like, God, what, what is this? And then they pitch a shutout in the second half and they win. And like you said, you know, those, that's a game that Nebraska teams that we've seen in the past probably don't win. Um, my question for you is is when when it the the comment about like no more doubt, there's no more doubt, there's belief now. When that kind of comment gets made, it's just natural for your brain to be like, so did they not believe in Scott Frost? Did they doubt Scott Frost? And I wonder if it's not so much that, but just all of the just all of the baggage that was associated with the coaching staff, let's do the nameless, faceless opponent thing. It wasn't Scott Frost. It was just everything that had happened to this team and everything that had happened under that regime. Do you think that has more to do with, you know, what we're seeing now that they just don't have that, um, that just constant weight, that constant stress, that constant talk about, Hey, your coach is going to get fired if you lose this game or that game. And now, you know, while they probably, were sad to see Scott Frost leave them because Scott Frost is the guy that brought them most of them to Nebraska, that there's sort of like, it wasn't that they doubted Scott Frost. It was that now they're just in a situation where, I don't know, they, they feel like they don't, they're they're playing free. They're playing loose. They're playing without any way. Or I guess maybe, do you think they did doubt Scott Frost? If you want to go that way. I don't think that it was so much that they doubted Scott. I think what you're saying about playing freer, playing looser, I think that's coming from a place of just not having so much of that baggage, like you just said, that burden. And in fact, I said this prior to Scott Frost firing that there are some moments that reminded me of what I remember seeing at the end of specifically the Bo Pelini era, where a lot of these players were very, very attached to their coach. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. Players were, are recruited by, they're coached by, they were they create relationships with these position coaches, these head coaches. And so there's naturally always going to be that want to play really hard for these people. 
the thing though that like I kind of started to see with Scott is that it almost felt like some of the players were taking on so much of his burden. They could like it felt like they knew the stakes in place that if we don't play better, if we don't win, if we don't start turning this thing around, he's going to get fired. And I think that that was always kind of dangling there as like a carrot, but not a carrot that you want. It's kind of like you want to avoid it. And yet they're, they're just trying to do what they're, you know, what they believe is the right thing to do, play super hard, play, you know, and then you're not seeing the results. And so each time you're starting to feel like, we're the reason our coach is about to get fired. We're the reason that people feel this way. Like, I think it just got really heavy. And I, I remember feeling that way toward the end of the Bo Pelini era a little bit too, just kind of seeing that where like you could feel it where players were a little bit like, now that was different because I understand Bo had like nine win seasons. So it wasn't like they were fighting for wins in that case, but like you just kind of could feel it where they were like, this is on us. It becomes the us against everyone else viewpoint and scenario scenario and I just think that that's a really like it can become really toxic and I'm not saying that is like in you know it it just is it is what it is and I, I think when Scott was relieved of his duties and Mickey Joseph came into that spot you know Mickey kept talking about we just need to make sure that these these players are okay we need to focus on the mental health side of this too and it was interesting because I saw some people on social media who were like who cares it's football and it's like you know you got to care about their mental health too because they're showing up and they're putting their bodies on the line they're working incredibly hard and if they feel worn down and beat down and like mentally just drained they're not going to perform to the level that you need them to. You're not going to come out in the second half against Rutgers on a Friday night and outscore them 14, nothing. That, I mean, that's a, that's no. a thing. Yeah, it there. truly is. And like, I mean, I saw moments post game against Rutgers where players and coaches were embracing each other and you could just feel relief. And that's not to say that they're going to win every single game the rest of the season. I don't quite think that, but there truly is quite? something that. Are, oh, quite. Are they going? Are, oh, okay. Are they going four and two, five and one? I is that what you're really even thought through mm -hmm. it? But like, okay. honestly, I'm trying to put I you on the spot here. Well, no, I'll just say this. I think this team gets bowl eligible. Truly, I do. And that's the wild part for me is like, if you had said that to me, you know, four weeks ago, is this team going to be bowl eligible? I said, probably not. I actually do think this is going to be a bowl eligible team. And uh, th that will be, if push comes to shove and that's what happens, that will be fantastic. And like, I don't even care if it's like the Music City Bowl, a bowl that like Nebraska was the last <laughs> bowl game Nebraska went to. And, um, if that ends up happening and they get to go, I hope they enjoy the heck out of that. Like that would be like such a, you know, monumental moment for everyone involved to get to that point. Um, but in the meantime, I don't know. It just, it feels like a weight has been lifted. And I don't say that out of any disrespect for Scott Frost or anyone else, uh, any like Eric Schnander. It's just sometimes when you're in the thick of things and you don't really maybe see a way out. It can get really, really heavy and you don't know how to fix that. And I think that's where the players and the coaches were at. I, I just think they were really bogged down. Now that's, again, they're going to, they're going to face adversity. They're, they're not done. They're going to face more adversity, but I'm eager to see how they handle that with Mickey, with Mickey Joseph at the helm and him leading this because he seems very, very like, cognizant of the mental health side of it and making sure that they stay 
above water. And I think that there's a lot to be said about that. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Illinois is 5-1. and one. Winners of four straight. They play Minnesota this weekend. Minnesota is 4-1. and one. Throw the boat. <laughs> if Minnesota wins that game and Nebraska beats Purdue, Nebraska's in sole possession of first place in the Big Ten West. So tell me why right now Mickey says the like three-way tie that they're in for first place is fake. He was kind of picking fun at, because now to be fair, he said that on a Friday night when Nebraska had technically gone into like owning first place for like 12 hours until the next games were played. But his point overall was all of this means nothing. The real rankings are the end of the season. Basically where you're ranked at the end of the season is when it's real. So everything until that point, none of this really matters. And so he, he joked it was fake first place because of both the fact that they were just about 12 hours ahead on a game before everyone else, but also because he doesn't think any of these matter until you get to the end of the season where you are, Week 12, heading into, you know, postseason play, that's what matters. And so I, I appreciated that, although I will I will also add, there were some Nebraska fans that were like, just let us have this on Twitter after okay, the game. That's what I wanted to ask you. That's what I wanted to ask you. Let's psychoanalyze this a little bit. Do you think it would be better for, for this particular team, for this specific set of players, to be like, yeah, we are in first place. Let's feel good about that for a little bit. Or do you think that the that the approach of yeah hey yo no it's it's fake it's we're we're in a, we're in a tie for first place in a weak division like it it doesn't matter until the end of the season do you think that's the better approach I actually think Mickey handles both. I think he doesn't, I don't think he's probably ever said the latter to any of the players because he's very clear. They get 24 hours to celebrate. They get 24 hours post game to feel however they want to feel, celebrate being in first place, celebrate the win, feel down. If you lose whatever you get 24 hours. And then once the 24 hours is up, you are on to the next, you are on to that next game. And I think that's really interesting because the one thing I have not noticed Mickey do is if he hears like, Hey, a player said this, what do you think? He never, he never like counteracts what they say in the sense that he doesn't go, no, no, no. It's not like that. Like he validates that they have the right to feel that way. And then says where he may be at on it. And I find that to be a really interesting thing because if say, 
Casey Thompson, who is the last person who would do this for the record. But if he came up to the podium one, you know, Tuesday and is like, Nebraska's first play is so excited. I don't think Mickey would come up and then say he shouldn't have said that. He would just be like, he's val, he has, you know, he could feel that way. This is where I'm at on it. This is what I think. It's just a little difference to see that from Mickey Joseph, where he does that a lot, where he validates the feelings and the thoughts of others, but then he says where he's coming from on it. So I'm guessing if a player is like super excited about that, he's not taking that excitement away from them. But after the 24 hour period, it's like, all right, we got to focus on the next. If there was a social media narrative or like, like quip, cute little talking point that quip if i could have one thing that mickey joseph would just latch onto and be like yep we're riding this it would be the the nebraska curse thing that's that's cropped up on twitter (laughs) nebraska is like the monsters right now basically like they lose to a team and then they just take that team's power oklahoma has just fallen apart since since demolishing nebraska northwestern has lost five straight games Mm -hmm. (laughs) beating nebraska um i would like to see t-shirts made for the nebraska curse (laughs) And if Nebraska beats Purdue and then it happens again in Purdue, I want to see T-shirts made. I want somebody to to make some T-shirts and I want them sent to here. Here's a, this is a thing for the the varsity club. Why don't we do this? We'll make some T-shirts. We'll send them to Mickey Joseph and we'll see if he wears them for a press conference. I mean, the this Nebraska sister. If you're Purdue, like you don't you kind of have a you kind of have a no win situation here because if you are to win this game, if you're Purdue, you beat Nebraska, you're like, heck yeah, on to the next. As Brett McMurphy tweeted, he said the Husker hex is real and it's spectacular. Since beating Nebraska, Northwestern is now 0 and 5, Oklahoma is now 0 and 3, Georgia Southern, Georgia Southern is 1 and 3, and all as a total are combined 1 and 11. So the teams that have beat Nebraska have just like their seasons have all just like taken the roller coaster straight into the sun. Like they are just hot mess. So if you're Purdue, you're probably like, what is going on here with these teams that beat Nebraska? So I do find it funny. I've seen some people joking that uh, Purdue. They're like, you know what to do. Do you want that for the rest of your season? Or do you want, you know, just one loss? Or do you want a bunch of losses? Pick pick yeah. your poison here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the defense. Because I said I said a little bit ago, Nebraska's got six sacks in the last two weeks. The pass rush is looking a, a, a little bit better. Um, since the change from Eric Schnander to Bill Bush and as the, as the team's defensive coordinator, have you noticed anything materially different with the defense, be it in the way that they practice, the things that they say, what you've seen on film? Um, have you noticed anything that is like materially different between Bush and what they were doing with Chenander? Well, I, first and foremost, one of the like snarkiest things that Mickey Joseph has said so far is when he was asked like basically what, what has changed? He said, we changed defensive coordinators. I was like, oh, my. <laughs> oh, um, you know, I think the biggest thing is, is like they've obviously simplified things. They're making they're making it a little bit easier. I think the defense was maybe trying to do too much and they weren't. It, it, from what we understand, they've simplified the playbook just a little bit. So that way it's easier to get the calls in. They're easier to understand what's going on in a quick moment, especially when you're going against quicker offenses. Um but 
outside of that, like, I think like maybe some of it is just them, like, is just improve, like, it's just overall letting them play freer and looser. But like, I really think the simplification piece of it is, is honestly been working wonders because they've all brought it up at different points where they're like, Bill Bush has made things a little bit simpler. Bill Bush has done this. And also like they've made changes on defense where, you know, they broke up safeties and cornerbacks where Travis Fisher, Fisher is now not dedicated to both. Mickey Joseph has been clear that most, most schools in the country don't do that where they have one person coaching both. So he's like, you have to have more focus just feels like they're paying attention to more of the details. They're paying attention to more of just basically be really good. Like it's better to be really good at a few things than like, okay, at a lot. So instead of having a playbook that is massive, that you can't execute well, have, have fewer plays that you can execute well. And it's so far it has been working well in, you know, against who Nebraska has been playing. Are there teams that could make that more difficult going forward? Sure. But like, I think that's been the biggest thing is I think Bill Bush has just been like, let's not make this more complicated than we need to make this. And it has paid off for the defense. Yeah. I mean, we are talking about, you know, Indiana and Rutgers and they've got, they've got tougher games coming up. Um, Let's, let's, let's just put on the hypothetical hat for a second. They beat Purdue, Minnesota beats Illinois, Nebraska sitting in first place in the big 10 West heading into um, the, you know, kind of tough, closing stretch of its season mm-hmm. they get bowl eligibility i don't want to go through and be like hey you gotta they'll win this game and they'll win this game oh but they'll lose this game but let's just they get bowl eligibility what do you, what would you put the likelihood that mickey joseph keeps this job and or bill bush stays on this staff so if Mickey Joseph, let's let's start here. If Mickey Joseph gets the job, Bill Bush staying as the defensive coordinator in some role for Nebraska would be probably close to 100% guaranteed. Like, I do think that if Mickey Joseph was developing his own staff, I think he has a long relationship and trust with Bill Bush that, like, he would want to keep him in the role that he is in now. Um, with that said, do I think... I do believe that Trev, Trev Alberts means it when he says that, like, they're doing a full full um they're they're looking at they're not leaving any stone unturned and I do think that that includes Mickey Joseph I still am kind of like 50 50 on that where like I do think that they're really looking outside of Nebraska whether people feel that's fair or not I just think the likelihood of Mickey Joseph being the next head coach is probably not as like significant even even if Nebraska now, if they win every game of the rest of the season, I think that's a little bit of a different story, but let's say it's just getting bowl eligible. I still think it's like probably more likely that they hire outside with that said, I think it's a pretty, pretty good chance that Mickey Joseph is still at Nebraska coaching in 2023. And I say that, that like understand that coaches come in and they have their own people, they have their own, but like, Mickey Joseph is one of those coaches that I think a lot of coaches that are on Nebraska's list right now would love to have on their staff and would find a role for him and could keep him as an associate head coach. He could coach really, like I said, anything he he's shown, he can coach just about any position he needs to. You can slot him in and he meets with players from both sides of the ball. He's talking both sides of the ball. Um, So I feel pretty confident that Mickey Joseph is around in 2023 what that role looks like, whether he is, you know, the full-time official head coach or something else. 
I don't feel as confident saying he is Nebraska's head coach next year. And I, I don't say that out of a place of disrespect. I just think that Trev is still sincerely looking very broadly or has honed in on maybe, you know, a set of candidates, but you know, to be honest with you, this is why I'm so glad I'm not in one of those roles because I am the kind of person where like, I would just be like, you're doing a great job. I'm going to hire you. And, um, that's why like, I, I'm an empathetic person where I'd be like, Oh, I don't want to take this from you. So like, I guess it's good that it's not mine to think about like in this way, but I don't know. I feel more confident that he is on the staff as an associate head coach and coaching a position group than I do that he will be the next head coach, but I could be completely wrong. And if I'm wrong on that, like these are those times where like people are like, Oh, you're going to be wrong. It's like, if I'm wrong, like that's like, I, I'm not going to be like, Oh, I'm so angry. I'm wrong. I don't know. <laughs> are, are you more confident now? Cause you said 50, 50. So were you like, like, has it, has it changed at all over the last two weeks? No, I'm still in kind of the same spot with it where I think, you're not being, so you're not being influenced by. No. And I the, think that's the small window. No, I think I've been kind of 50, 50 on it the whole time where I'm like, unless like it goes catastrophically bad or unless it goes like just, just outstandingly well, and then your decision is really easy one way or the other. I think if he just studies the, you know, studies the ship and gets Nebraska into a good situation through the rest of the season, I'm just not yet influenced with that. I'm just not yet convinced that that's going to be what is the ultimate influence, if you will. I, I don't know. I'm again, there's a reason that it's not me because I I would be horrible at hiring for this, this job. Um, But I do think think that's the path you have to take. I think that's the, that's the route that you have to take because you like, if you look at like Georgia tech, Georgia tech's won two games since they fired Jeff Collins, they beat Pitt. Felt probably probably feeling pretty good. Um, and I, I, don't know I, I say this is like ultimate respect for Mickey Joseph. I think he's a great coach, and I, I hope I'm right when I say he's on Nebraska staff no matter what in 2023. I really do believe he's in Lincoln in 2023. I, I don't think he's going anywhere, and I think that's great for Nebraska. But I also think Mickey Joseph, just for a side note to anyone you know who's curious about the kind of person he is, I don't think he is the person that has to aspire to be a head coach. I think he is so happy being in a place where he – whether that's Nebraska or somewhere else. But I think if he feels that he's in a place where he's making a difference, he's valued, he has input and is making a difference of, you know, in some way for that program. I don't think he view like he doesn't feel to me like one of the coaches that's like constantly trying to aspire to like the next level. I think what Mickey is aspiring to is a place where he's happy and finding success with a good group of, you know, like a group, good group of coaches and players and a team where he can be proud of. Like, I think if he ended, you know, if he ended up as a position coach, associate head coach for Nebraska, I think he'd be very happy there. I could be wrong, but that's just my read on him is that he is just very like, I don't think he's chasing that next, like kind of what we were talking about. And I did poorly explaining it recently, but like my thoughts on Bill O'Brien, how I think Bill O'Brien is constantly chasing kind of what's next for him. I don't get those kind of feelings from Mickey. I think Mickey is kind of always looking for what's the best place for me. Where do I make the most difference and where do I have the most impact? And that's a pretty special type of coach to be because there's not a lot of people in this industry that I would say 
operate like that. And that's just my read on him. So I could be completely wrong, but that's my read on him is he is, he is truly about his players and making an impact. And that's not to say people like Bill O'Brien are not, but I do think there are coaches, a lot of them in this industry that are always kind of keeping a little bit of an eye out on like, what's the next thing for me. So we're just, this is, we're just going to turn this into the bash Bill O'Brien hour. I'm for it. Oh, sorry. I don't, everyone. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like Bill O'Brien as, as a candidate. I don't care about, him. I don't like him as a candidate like for Nebraska either. So give me Dave Aranda running the defense and Mickey <laughs> Joe, the associate head coach running the offense. I think we'll be good. Uh, be a pretty good team. Um, Aaron, fun. what are you, what are you most interested in seeing from Nebraska this weekend? Are you, are you wanting to see, you know, continued, um, I guess chemistry between Casey Thompson and uh, and and Palmer at wide receiver. Oh, I are thought you, you were going to say the offensive line. I was going to be like, "Ooh, what chemistry?" Are you <laughs> are you wanting to see something bigger picture? Are you looking to see sort of how they respond? Like what? Like crack open the notebook and tell me what's what's the top bullet point on you of things that you want to see this weekend from Nebraska against Purdue. One, I'd love to see the offensive line do something. I, just something, um, anything. anything. Um, this offensive line has to figure something out because Casey Thompson is not going to continue to make it through games. If he is, he is not going to run for his life. Like Adrian Martinez did and many quarterbacks before Adrian did, that is not going to be the That is not the quarterback that Casey Thompson is and expecting him to be that quarterback is unfair to him. So I think I would just like to see the offensive line, step up and provide more time because people have been commenting about how Casey, they're like, he needs to step up in the pocket. He's, he is so like, he doesn't have much time. And you can also tell he's hesitant because if he steps forward in the pocket, he doesn't know how long that pocket's going to be there before it starts to collapse. So there's a whole mental piece of this where it's like, if the offensive line can just get him of get him a couple of breaks, I think that will help with confidence. I think it will help with, their just relationship overall and how they work with each other. So I'd like to see the offensive line step up and improve in some capacity. Uh, I do want to see, I do want to see just more of those. I know people joke that they were like YOLO bombs to Trey Palmer. Um, but there's something we said, there's obviously a clear connection between, <laughs> between uh, Casey Thompson. I'm thinking of that, that gif or that meme that was going around that was basically like, just toss it up and just like, Trey will be there. Yeah. Um, it was, it was, well, okay. I don't know if if he if he started this, but like it was last year. It was Colton Pouncey with uh, the Athletic that that sort of like turned it into a thing with Peyton Thorne and um, and uh, Jaden Reed at Michigan State, where he he any time they had a big play, he'd tweet out a picture of Peyton Thorne like gearing up to throw, and the caption would basically be "F it." Pay, uh, Reads down there somewhere. That's it. With, that's that's it the meme. Yeah. That's what it is now. And, like, and, and I love that. that. Yeah. I, love I, that. I, you know, there's things that I could say like, oh, you know, I'd love for them to get the tight ends more, you know, use, utilize, get them more touches. I'd love to see the running game kind of, you know, continued. Like Anthony Grant has had some big games, but then he's had some games where he's been really limited. And obviously without AJ Allen, you're now, you need, you need like Gabe Irvin Jr. or Yant to step up. Yeah, those things are all important, but I think the biggest 
piece for me is like on the offensive side, it's just all of that stuff can happen if the offensive line just improves a little bit. They did say that the offensive line has had, and I, oh, I hesitate. I can already hear the groans before I even say it. Great week of had practice. one of the best weeks of practice. I feel different though about them saying this than when Scott said it because they haven't said this before. They they were like, no, they practiced like garbage last week, just to be clear. So they're not like blowing smoke on that sense. So I'm like, all right, maybe there's something we'll see. On the defensive side, I just think um, you need you need the you know you need those guys up front to just keep playing kind of with a vengeance like Ty Robinson I know that like he was basically told we know you have more in you than you're giving we know you can play better than you are and he has started to step up and made some big plays and you can tell he's really proud of himself in those moments so I think I think you need to we need to see more of that so basically I'm putting it on the lines the lines have to continue to get better and improve because when your lines are playing well everything else starts to fall into place or at least starts to fall into better place than it was prior. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Well, I mean, this is not going to be, you know, like groundbreaking analysis, but Aiden O'Connell's a good quarterback. He proved that last year. If you just, if you, if you can't pressure him, then he's going to pick you apart. If you just mm-hmm. let him sit back there, he's going to pick you apart, especially with this with this Purdue scheme. Um, they've given up 11 sacks in six games. Purdue has. Nebraska has six sacks in its last two games. That's, uh, you know, that's, I think that's going to be the thing. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's going to be the piece of it. Who's going to win that battle? Are they going to be able to put pressure? And it doesn't have to be, you know, sacking him. It doesn't have to be finishing plays. With no, sack. just making him be, feel, making him feel nervous. Getting yeah. some hits early in the game putting him on his back a little bit early in the game. Um, Cause that'll also, you know, that'll go back to the sort of that, that doubt versus belief conversation that we had earlier, where if you can start to do that early, you know, you give yourself a little bit of confidence and a little bit of belief that, Hey, we're going to get after you this game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll see. And it's not, it's not been a great defensive season for Nebraska. Um, do you think that this is more like blowout or not blowout um, huh. shootout, shootout potential? 
I didn't mean to say blowout. Maybe that's a Freudian slip. Do you think this game has shootout potential or is this going to be, you know, 28-23, like 33-28 kind of score lines? I feel like it's going to be – I don't think it's going to be a shootout. I could see it being like a 28-24, you know, kind of like like you say, like in that range where I could see, you know, there being some points. Although like last week I said – Last week, my score prediction was something like 24-21 Nebraska. And I was like, that feels like too many points. I even said that. I was like, it feels like too many points for both of these teams. Um, I could see it also being something like 21-17. Like, I could see it being a lower, like, not low, low scoring game, but a lower scoring game. I really think it's going to. I think it's going to really like not to like put it, take it right back here, but it's going to really fall on those lines and who can, who can put pressure, who can, do they fall apart? Who's letting, you know, if it becomes a shootout, oof, that, that would mean that the lines have, I, I don't even know what I would make with that, but I, I think I, I'm going to take Mickey Joseph on this one from him watching you know, what he sees from Purdue and teams ahead. I think it's going to be a bit of a slugfest. I don't think a slugfest in like a nine to six route. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a bit of slugfest and I could see it both scores being somewhere in the twenties. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Well, so they've played five FBS teams so far this season and all five of those games have been decided by 10 points or less. So yeah. Purdue, Purdue is basically just Nebraska at this point, you know, if we want to go, if we want to go that route. Um, sorry, Purdue. Sorry, Purdue. <laughs> Yeah, all all 10 points or less um, games have been decided by. So, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be an interesting week. So it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I just hope it's not a really late game because we still have to drive back to Chicago after it. So, as long as they can just keep it moving. So, basically, I'm on the uh, run the ball team this week. Run the ball ever so often. Anthony Grant. Keep that clock running. Anthony Grant is your guy. (laughs) He is. Um, for those listening that want more of a sort of an in-depth preview of Purdue, go listen to the IED preview podcast with Brandon Vogel. Um, it's going to give you everything that you need to know. Also, Erin Sorensen has her own podcast. I don't know why I just said your last name. You're, I've been talking to you for 30 minutes. I didn't need That's to fine. say your last name. 40 minutes. Erin um, has her own podcast with Sasha Durkin, the Mind Your Own podcast. Go listen to that as well. Also, we if have, you have we've been off for like a couple of weeks. So if anyone's like, where's the new episodes? We're returning next week. It's going to be the bi-week return extravaganza. Excellent. <laughs> if you have not already, make sure that you are subscribed to HillVarsity.com. Go to HillVarsity.com backslash subscribe. Use promo code Varsity. Get that taken care of. Aaron, you got to go. You got stuff to do. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It was good to catch up. Finally, get you get you on here. I know. I know. And we're in the same city too. But here we are in different places. Shake Shack soon. Shake Shack. Shouts to you guys for listening to this episode every week. Shouts to Cam for producing this episode every week. And we'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. A Huda Media Production.